You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. We're trying to be a community of students on campus, learning to love God, love each other, and love the University of Tennessee. And we want to create a safe place for anybody to come, regardless of where you are spiritually, to process, wrestle with, and struggle with the truth claims of the Bible with us. I don't assume everybody in here believes the same thing. We're all over the map. Some of us are uh, diehard, sold out, on fire, lit, on fleek for Jesus. And some of us uh, think all of this is dumb and made up and the Bible's full of contradictions and whatever. And wherever you are, kind of in the middle, we're so glad that you're here and that you're willing to kind of think and wrestle and process uh, through the truth claims of the Bible with us. And so what we're going to do this semester is we're going to work our way through the book of Galatians. So if you have a book known as the Bible, with you. You can turn to the book of Galatians or um, flip in your bulletin. We'll have it up here in a second. And uh, there is really one point, one overarching agenda to Paul's letter to the Galatians, and it is this. It's to clarify and to amplify what the gospel is. For six chapters, over and over and over, he's just going to be doing the same thing over and over to make this one point. That transformation happens when you come to understand and believe the unadulterated gospel. Put it this way, the key to this book is that the unadulterated gospel is the key to transformation and freedom. So we're just going to jump in. Chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to read it. We'll go from there. It says this, Paul An apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word for us. Let me pray and then we'll consider it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, I pray that you would give us grace to focus on your word as we deal with the heat of this room, of just the, the, the amount of people in here and the discomfort some of us may be feeling, knowing that uh, people come into this room from lots of different places. Some of us are excited. Some of us are doubting. Some of us are angry. Some of us are overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Uh, some of us are depressed. 
Father, wherever we find ourselves tonight, I pray that you would meet with us personally and that you would uh, give us good news. This would be our prayer. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love uh, the podcast, The Moth. I don't know if you're into The Moth, but it's basically a compilation of real-life people telling their real-life stories that just kind of gets thrown out into the interwebs. And there was one story that I heard recently about a guy that a guy told named Bradford Jordan. And the background that you need to know on Bradford Jordan is he had been dating this girl for a while, and they had kind of gotten to this point in their relationship where it was kind of a make-or-break moment because... She really wanted to have kids, and he was really hesitant and resistant to the idea. And they were kind of at this point of like, until we can figure out whether or not we want to settle down as a family, uh, then we may need to break up. And so they were in New York. He flies from New York to California over spring break to spend some time with his dad in his dad's house to try to basically kind of clear his mind and think through what's he, what he wants to do. And he's in the room that he grew up in across the hallway from his dad, and he's in his bed, kind of late at night, and uh, he's on his iPad, and bing, this email kind of pops up. And it says it's from this uh, girl named Stephanie Miller, which is not a name that he recognizes, but the subject line caught his attention because it said, I have something I need to tell you. So he opens this email, and here's what it says. Dear Bradford, In 2005, when you were living in Oxford, we were introduced by a mutual friend, and we got drunk and hooked up. I never told you, but I got pregnant that night. And it's been five years, and I've been talking with my therapist, and we agreed that this was the right time to reach out to you. So whether or not you want to be involved in your son's life is up to you. Email back if interested. He... He immediately starts sobbing, like breaking down at this reality. And he does what he, he just like reverts back to what he was like as a seven-year-old and like walks across the hallway to his dad's room and like knocks on the door and says, Dad, we need to talk. And his dad brings him in. And there were two couches in his dad's room. There was the, the couch for talking and there was the couch for cuddling. And so he invites him to sit on the talking couch. And as he's processing this with his dad and weeping over this news that he just received, His heart changes. And as he's telling this story, here's what he says. He says this. I instantly felt boundless and limitless love for this kid. I didn't know where he was, but I knew I would do anything for him. So he goes to bed and he decides, okay, when he wakes up the next morning, he's going to call his girlfriend in in New York and let her know that uh, I do want a family and... Yeah, oh, by the way, I have one now. And so he calls her, and she picks up, and he says, okay, I need you to sit down. Just wherever you are, I just need you to sit down. You know how we've been talking a lot about uh, that trying to decide if we want to have kids or not? Well, I think I've had a change of heart because I got this email last night. And then she interrupts him, and she goes, from Stephanie Miller? He goes, uh, uh. she goes, April Fool's. I guess you do want kids. I love how that just settled in. Now, needless to say, they are no longer dating. 
he got married to somebody else and had kids. She got married to somebody else and had kids, probably because of the April Fool's thing that happened. But here's why I tell you that story. Because that story illustrates this truth that transformation happens when you hear good news. Here was this guy totally opposed to the idea of kids. He gets this news and it generated something in him that did not exist before. Transformation happens when you hear good news. And the point of our passage tonight is just that. That's the point of this book of Galatians as a whole. That transformation happens when you hear, believe, and rest in good news. The word gospel literally just means good news. But transformation cannot happen unless you understand what the gospel is and unless it's distinguished from what it's not. So those are the two big ideas that I want to explore with you tonight. That the gospel must be understood and the gospel must be distinguished. Got it? So those are the two big ideas. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. The gospel must be understood for what it is and it must be distinguished from what it's not. So first, let's look at what the gospel is, that it must be understood. After Paul introduces himself in verse 1, And then he identifies who he's writing to, to the churches in Galatia in verse 2. He gives the most concise, dense summary of what the gospel is in verse 3 through 5 there. Let me just read a little bit of it to you again. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now, if you'll notice, in that little summary, there are two sides to the gospel. Like, there's two sides of a coin. There's bad news and there's good news. And if the gospel is going to be at all meaningful to anyone in this room, you have to understand both sides of what that is. It's like two wings of a plane. Unless you have both wings, the plane's not flying. So what's the bad news? Well, look at verse uh, 4. He says that Jesus came to rescue us. And what's the implication of that? The implication is that we needed to be rescued. That the Bible, the gospel on the front end says that we are helpless and lost. And that you and I are not just in need of moral improvement or like character development, but that we are trapped and without hope. It it was 27 years ago in 1989 that there was this massive earthquake that hit Armenia. 8.2 on the Richter scale. It shook for four minutes. And after four minutes of shaking, the death toll was 30,000 people. And I heard the story about this father that had taken his kid to school that morning before the earthquake happened. And earthquake happens, everything is destroyed. And he gets up from his house and starts running towards where the school is. Only when he gets to the school, there's no school. It's just rubble. And he knew that his kid's classroom was kind of in the back right-hand corner of the building. So he kind of climbs over the rubble and the rocks to that area, and he starts digging. And there's fires breaking out, and there's explosions happening, and people are shouting at him, there's no use, there's no point, they're all dead. And that's the picture that the bad news of the gospel gives us. That we are buried under the rubble of our own sin, of our own twisted instincts and desires, and there's nothing that we can do about it. That we can't change ourselves. We can't help ourselves. All of us have this thing inside of us where where we're obsessed with our own narcissism. We're, We're addicted to ourselves. Our egos are so fragile. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. Uh, We're always sizing up and ranking everybody. Uh, Our hearts are bent away from God and towards self-destruction. 
That is why, if you even kind of take it in sort of a, not a spiritual realm, but down a notch, and just think, man, all of us, man, we want to sleep better, we want to go to bed earlier, we want to read more, we want to exercise more, we want to hydrate more, uh, we, we want to take better care of us, and yet there is this thing inside of us, this inertia that's pulling us in the opposite direction. It's so hard. We can't change ourselves. The bad news of the gospel is just that, that we are all trapped, buried, dying, and helpless. So what's the good news? Well, look at uh, Galatians 1.3. Jesus came to rescue us. That's the good news. Go back to Armenia with me. Come on. And if you go, if, here's this dad who's digging up these stones in this rubble for eight hours. 12 hours still digging. 24 hours still digging. 36 hours still digging. At the 38th hour, he removes a stone and he sees the arm of his son wearing the shirt that he put on him the day before as he sent him to school. And he calls out to his name, Armand! Armand! And Armand, his son, weakly looks up at him and says, I knew you'd come because you promised. And that's what the gospel is. Yes, we are buried. And yet Jesus comes to rescue us. Not because we're good, but because he promised. Because he loves to save and to rescue those who are weak and wounded and sick and sore. And here's how Jesus rescues us. Look at verse 3 again. It says, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Now hit pause here because here's where truckloads of people get confused about what Christianity is. Most people think Jesus came as the spiritual teacher and he taught all this cool stuff. And he says, okay, now obey all this stuff that I've taught you. But notice that's not what the gospel is in its nutshell summary. That Jesus did not come primarily as a teacher but as someone who's on a search and rescue mission. He gave himself. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved to die. He was our substitute. And as he gives himself for us, that's how he rescues us, which is different from every other religion in the world. Every other religious founder says, here are the rules, here are the rituals, here are the rites, and if you just believe it enough, do it enough, are devoted enough, then you can be saved. But here's the question. Um, if someone is drowning in a pool and they're flailing and they're gasping for breath, you don't throw them a manual on how to swim. Right? If people really are helpless and lost, you don't just throw them spiritual teaching and say, do more of this. What we need is somebody to jump into the pool and rescue us. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has left the glory of heaven, jumped into the pool of sin with us, pulled us out. He died in the process and we were saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And you will not be transformed unless you understand it. But secondly, the gospel will not be meaningful to you and it will not transform you unless it's distinguished from what it's not. And here's where we got to get a little nerdy and get into the background of the book for just a second. Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians in 50 AD, which was about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what happened was, the story was, he went to this area called Galatia, which is this region which is in modern-day Turkey. And he'd go to a town or a city or a village, and he'd preach the gospel, and some people would come to know Jesus, and he would 
uh, raise up this church, and a church would be planted. And uh, then he'd go to the next town or the next village and preach the gospel, and people would come to know Jesus, and a church would be planted. And it was get up and running. He'd go to the next town. So he planted all these churches all over, and there was this group of Christian missionaries that came in alongside, came in along after him. And they were ethnically Jewish, and they came to these churches, and they said, hey, what Paul taught you was mostly true. Yes, you need Jesus, but if you're not ethnically Jewish, you need to do what the people of God have always done. If you want to be part of the people of God, then you need to get circumcised and obey the law of Moses. So their understanding of the gospel was this. You need Jesus plus circumcision and obedience. So Paul hears of this and he writes this letter as a response. And here's his uh, reaction to that. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is shocked, he's angry, he's upset. In fact, as we get deeper into this letter, you're going to see how aggressive this letter gets. Because he hears them saying, the gospel is Jesus plus something, anything. And he says, the moment you do that, you distort the gospel and it's no longer good news. When you add anything that is needed to be accepted by God other than the grace of Christ, it is no longer good news news. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Now, I realize uh, we've been in school for like a week. School started last week. and I say we, y'all. And um, some of y'all are excited to come back for your sophomore year, junior year, senior year, wherever you are. And you're like excited for the fall, another year of football. And some of y'all are new, new to UT, and you've been in Knoxville for like four seconds, and you're already kind of overwhelmed and disoriented and lonely and excited and everything that you feel. So regardless of where you are, why in the world would you care about a first century Jewish Christian debate about circumcision in Turkey? Well, I think here's why you should care about this. Because every one of us in this room has this instinct to add to the gospel and therefore make it not good news at all. Even if you're not a spiritual person, every one of us is tempted to add something to it. And let me give you two modern examples of how we do this. Here's the first modern example. That we like to add to the gospel, Jesus plus right behavior. If you want to be right with God, you want to be accepted by God, then you need Jesus, but you also need to behave in the right ways. It depends on where you come from, how you define what is a right way to live. Some of you come from more traditional backgrounds, and you say there are certain things that you must not do. You must not drink alcohol. You must not smoke. You must not have sex. You must not listen to those, that kind of music. You must not watch those kind of movies. And uh, there are certain things that you must do. You must vote this way. You must dress this way. You must date this way. Here's the behavior code. If you have Jesus and you do all of this, then you'll be accepted by God. The problem with adding all of that behavior to Jesus is that you make God into a tyrant where he's demanding, where he's just carrying around this laundry list of crap that you don't want to do, but he says, do it or else. 
And who in the world wants to worship a God like that? And my guess is there's a lot of people in this room that have bought into that understanding of life, thinking that's Christianity, and it's not. And if you buy into that, the way that you live your life is that you constantly feel like you're not ever measuring up. You're not good enough. You're not doing enough. And you begin to believe this lie that says, I've got to be someone other than who I am in order for God to love me. I've got to do more if I want God to really love me. And you're just dominated by guilt and by fear, and it's not good news. So some of you said, uh, the traditional behavior code is stupid. Let's exchange that for a more progressive behavior code, which kind of looks like this. It says, let's get rid of all that black and white, hard and fast absolutes, and let's just uh, accept everybody for who they are. And the cardinal sin is to ever criticize someone's decisions or choices or how they choose to live their life. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you believe. What really matters is that you're a good person. And how you become a good person is that you eat locally, organic food. <laughs> you recycle. Don't smoke. Both sides don't like smoking. Although the progressive side smokes, but they feel bad about it. And uh, don't shop at Walmart. Do not eat at McDonald's. Care about social issues. And it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. And that sounds so much more humble and tolerant, but it is in fact incredibly intolerant and incredibly exclusive. You want to find God? Doesn't matter really what you believe, just be a good person. That immediately excludes bad people. And here's the thing, uh, that's not good news for someone like me. Because I'm someone who struggles to, that, someone who struggles with feeling that I'm unworthy and who carries around regrets and I do things and I say things and I think things I don't want anyone in this room to know about. And to hear, doesn't matter what you believe, just be a good person, that's not good news for someone like me. What about people like us, people like me? It doesn't matter the traditional behavior code or the progressive behavior code. If you say, Jesus plus just behave the right way, it's not good news. It's just more slavery. It's a distortion of the gospel. That's the first kind of modern way that we add to the gospel. Here's the second way. And this is subtle, so follow me here. But the second way that we do this is we say, Jesus plus faith is the gospel. I'm sure some of you have been around churches or campus ministries or other kind of ministries where they use the kind of language of, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. You need to surrender your life to Jesus, give your life to God, whatever. And if you're not careful, that kind of language, if it's not clarified, can give you the impression that you are accepted by God and saved by God or whatever on the basis of how strong your faith is, how good your surrender was. Take me, for example. When I was 16 years old, uh, I went with my high school youth group to Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center in Laguna Beach, Florida, which, as a side note, is where we have RUF Summer Conference. Now, um, when I was there, that was the first time I really heard the gospel, the first time that the Lord really opened my eyes, and the gospel was clear to me. I found my heart being drawn to Jesus. I, I was not a Christian up until that point. And I was told to, you know, pray the sinner's prayer, which is kind of, some of y'all are like, I don't know what that is. That's, that's Christian lingo for 
pray this prayer and then God will accept you. Or this is kind of your gateway into God's favor. So I went back to my dorm that night, our little bunk, and I remember sitting in my bunk and I prayed. I didn't know how to pray then. I was like, God, um, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to save me. Do that. Amen. And as soon as it was over, I thought, did it work? Like, did that take? Did it, did it, was I sincere enough? Did I believe deeply enough? And I, this flood of insecurity came in, and so I was like, I need to do it again, but this time more earnestly. And so I prayed again, God, I'm a sinner, and I really need Jesus. Please save me. Amen. More insecurity. I prayed it probably 20 times that night. This is not, it's not a lie. But the insecurity kept coming in because it's like, how do, you, how do you know if it's ever enough? How do you know if you're devoted enough? How do you know if you believe enough? If you're sincere enough? <laughs> if you believe enough? <laughs> but here's the thing. I didn't realize this at the time, and I didn't realize it for years afterward, that I was believing that God's acceptance of me was based on the strength of my faith. And what that translated to into my life, and I guess that's what it translates it to into a lot of your lives, is that it looks like this pressure to, I've got to maintain this spiritual fervor. If that's what my relationship with God is based on, I've got to keep it up. And so when I would go to worship nights or ministries or conferences or whatever, I'd try to get all kind of spiritually jacked up for God. And when it didn't happen, when I wasn't feeling it, I would just leave and feel incredibly discouraged. Am I not a Christian anymore? What's going on with me? felt all this pressure to maintain the smiles and the energy and I've got to be on and people got to know that I'm adventurous and I've got a heart for the lost and it was this pressure that your relationship with God is based on the quality of your faith and let me tell you this that's not the gospel the gospel is you are not saved on the strength of your faith but on the object of your faith which is Jesus Jesus plus Nothing is what the gospel is. Like I'll, I'll end with this final story. I heard the story about this um, woman named Lydia who grew up in this really small, strict religious community. And uh, she, you know, you just you get to a point if you're in kind of a world like that and you kind of feel like an outsider where you just, you just got to get out of there. And so she eventually left, kind of peaced out on her hometown and went down to New Orleans and got a boyfriend and moved in with him and got a job and just kind of did the party thing, the, the um, party thing for lack of a better word. And um, I, I'm sure for some of you, if you've kind of gone down that road, it's really fun at first, and then eventually it just starts ringing hollow after a while. You just start feeling empty. It just feels like, okay, it's the same thing every single weekend. You start feeling empty on the inside, and that's what she began to feel. Like After kind of living this life and kind of piecing out on her family and her community, she was like, I'm kind of done with this party scene. And so she, one night when her boyfriend was asleep, she kind of snuck out the back door, got in the car, and drove back to her small little community. And she got home, but she didn't want to live with her Family, And so she got an apartment by herself and got a job at a diner. And everyone in town knew about her past. Because it was such a small community, she was that girl that like went off and went wild. So like she couldn't walk down the street with other people whispering, like, she's the girl that went to New Orleans. That's the New Orleans girl. And so one, one um, November, her parents invite her to come over for Thanksgiving lunch. She says, okay, this is going to be awkward, but what harm could it be? And so she goes back home, has lunch with her family, 
and uh, gets through kind of the awkwardness of the meal and she kind of excuses herself while they're doing the dishes and she goes to the living room and she goes to the mantle where on the mantle are all the little knickknacks and pictures and things and kind of featured prominently she sees a picture of herself, her graduation picture. And underneath it, there's this little plaque where they, it, it had kind of impressed into it. It said, R. Lydia. O-U-R. R. Lydia. And she just kind of melted. It just kind of came undone because she realized that was her father's intentional declaration to that community and to the watching world with all the whispers, she is ours. And we're not ashamed of her. We know all about her. But we love her, and in this house, Lydia is treasure, because she's ours. Jesus looks at us in the same way. I know all about you. I know everything that you're doing. I know all your shame. I know all your secrets. I know the double life that you're living. And I love you, and I adore you, and I cherish you, because you are mine, and I've come to rescue you, and no matter how many times you run away from me, I'm going to keep running after you. No matter how many times you screw up your faith and your uh, commitment to me, I'm going to keep running after you. Isn't that good news? Isn't that better than just hearing, be better? If you are a busy, religious type of a person, isn't that incredibly freeing? To know that Jesus loves you and has unending grace and love for you? Because it frees you to get off the hamster wheel and to rest and to feel like I don't have to sign up for three different ministries and six different small groups and I've got to be a leader and I've got to be committed to this and this and I've got to do more and more and more. That is fear-based, guilt-driven, busy exhaustion. That is not Christianity and it's not the gospel. The gospel invites you to come and to plunge yourself into the liberating, transforming grace of God for you. And if you're not a religious person, isn't the gospel so much sweeter than just thinking and believing that wholeness and personal transformation is found in you being authentic and your moral relativism and you just living for the weekend, which is just other forms of slavery. The gospel bids you to come and plunge into the grace of Christ, which he loves you and he's given himself for you. And that's it. Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel, and that's what we're going to keep coming back to over and over and over this semester. But I want to invite you tonight to believe upon it, to rest in it, to, to maybe even for the first time or for the hundredth time, recalibrate your heart and say, I'm going to go back to Jesus plus nothing and find freedom and transformation there. That's the invitation for you tonight. Let me pray. Father, thank you that the gospel is better than just hearing, be better, do more, try harder. Thank you that the gospel of grace frees us to rest in your love and your mercy and the fact that you have rescued us by your life and by your death and by your resurrection. Father, I pray for the folks in this room tonight that all of this just sounds like mumbo-jumbo. It just sounds like spiritual fairy tales. I pray that you would, by your Spirit's power, drill the goodness of the gospel through their hearts, that they would be pierced and softened and come to faith in you. 
I pray for the folks in this room that are exhausted and uh, that are excited about Christian stuff on campus and in Knoxville, but yet deep down are just worn out. I pray that the gospel would give them rest. And Father, for people in this room that just are trying to figure out what they think and what they believe, I pray that this good news would be indeed good news to them tonight. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.